Oh, Josh, thank goodness you're here. Can you give me some help with this keg? Danny, what have you got all that beer for? You didn't hear? Matt Brody is throwing a rager and I want to crash. Matt Bro wait a minute, isn't that a high school party? Yeah, it is, but I could pass for 17. Danny, come on. Well, if Gabrielle Cateris can pull it off, so can I. Nobody thought that Andrea Zuckerman was a high school student, and nobody is gonna think you are. Well, there's no harm in trying. Welcome to Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch. Two gay guys watching Baywatch one episode at a time, more or less at random. I am Josh. I'm Denny. And today we are going to cover Baywatch season three, episode six, Showdown at Malibu Beach High. Trashy, trashy episode, but in all the best ways. Absolutely, absolutely. We covered the episode right before this one, almost a full year ago in our time, Denny. Peer pressure. Mm. It was the second episode of the podcast. We, not that we know what we're doing now, but we knew even less then. Do you remember anything about that episode? That was the one with our special guest star. Yes. Yes. And do you remember? Okay, great. Well, so then we see that that episode sort of feeds right into this one in a lot of ways. And we'll get into how and why in a bit. I wonder, do we ever actually ever see like summer in high school, do you think, throughout the series? For now, this episode aired October 19th, 1992, though Amazon says October 18th. So somewhere within that week, these syndicated shows, it's impossible to figure it out. And it doesn't really matter because October 1992, what was happening? Well, how old were you, Denny? I was close to turning seven years old. So I'm assuming you remember even less than usual. Probably. All right. Well, I was 11. We were already in Hawaii at this time, and I was definitely watching Baywatch. I don't remember this episode, but this was part of my era, the second and third seasons especially. But in the rest of the country, we are in the waning days of the first George Bush presidency. Next month, November of 1992, he'll lose his run for re-election against Bill Clinton. I remember being very disappointed with this election because my parents were Republican. And I didn't know any better. <laughs> well, when Dukakis lost and I was in elementary school, I was also upset. Clinton ushered in a whole new era. That's why I played saxophone. You see, you have to blow into it, so you have to inhale with a saxophone or you die. <laughs> That's how I learned to inhale, playing my saxophone. You blow out and then you have to inhale. And while there, there wasn't really that much gay-related I could find in the news happening in October of 1992, uh, age was still raging across the country. Coming out was a huge ordeal, and it was very unsafe to do so. But this presidential election was actually the first that homosexuals had a real, not just stake in, but a voice in because the religious right was obviously aligned very closely with Bush Sr. And that made it that much easier to go over to the Clinton side for us homos. But also he embraced the population and addressed issues about AIDS and uh, homosexuality, etc. Now, Slick Willie would later insult us after he gets into office, putting things like don't ask, don't tell in mm -hmm. place. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. But mm. it's it was in market improvement from before. So that's fair. Improvements, incremental. Hey, as long as a win's a win. Yeah. Right? In music, back in 1992, looking at Billboard, 
Lucky for you, Denny, Mariah Carey is nowhere in sight. Thank God. Yes. I must have been listening to the radio a lot in middle school because I loved the entire chart. And we're not going to go into every single song. That'd be crazy. But the number one song uh, was Boys to Men with End of the Road from the Boomerang soundtrack. Do you not know it? I was not into music at this point in my life. Uh, that's understandable. I, I think I was probably listening to my Smurfs cassette tape. Possibly. Were you a Barney kid? He was, I was real big at the time. I was not, actually. I feel like Barney came a little bit after I started growing out of that. Mm, okay. So, well, I was probably watching Power Rangers. All right. Well, what about Sometimes Love Just Ain't Enough by Patti Smythe? Familiar with that song? No, sadly no. All right. Well, the number three spot was held by Madonna with Erotica. Okay. I like Madonna, but probably didn't like her back then. That's actually one of my least favorite songs from Madonna, but especially for me, let's talk about me, me, me. Number six on the charts. It was By The Heights. Mm. Do you recall that? I know that song. The reason you probably know that song is it ended up going to number one, but it was actually the theme song for a Fox series called The Heights about the band The Heights that sang the song how do you talk to an angel? I know the song. I do not recall this show at all. It lasted one season, so there's no surprise you wouldn't remember it, especially being from so long ago. But maybe somewhere in the recesses of your brain, you might recall the star of that show. After it was canceled, he moved over to 90210, and he played a, another musician named Ray Pruitt this time, and he played Donna's abusive boyfriend. Oh. Yeah, he sucked, but he had a real pretty voice. Was this after David? This was sort of in the midst of David. Mm. Like after David, her and David got... Were on her. and off. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of makes sense because he was not so cool at first and then he got really hot and then he, I think he became a drug addict for a little while. Well, like else became like a rapper too. Yo, West Beverly, my name is Dave, and I'm going to give you all the songs that you crave. And all the babes are going to be my slave. And all from a guy who don't even shave words. Well, in the 90s, if you were a white guy, you had to be around for <laughs> at least a few months. So, Anyways, at the movies, the number one film at the box office was the Steven Seagal action flick, Under Siege. I've never seen a Steven Seagal movie in my life. Neither have I. I love schlock. You know me. But action schlock just doesn't really appeal to me. And he's just gotten crazier as time has gone on, from what I know of him. Now that part's pretty interesting, but again, not I'm not going to watch a movie for it. <laughs> Number two was the historical drama, Last of the Mohicans. I know I've heard of it, I've never seen it. For some reason, I don't know why, it wasn't connected to this at all, just cosmic synchronicity, but I actually saw a clip from the end of the movie just this past week. It looks really good. I mean, I know it's supposed to be a great film, but uh, especially as much as I'm into cowboy stuff lately, I need to check it out. And interesting that you bring that up because our episode tonight is very Native American themed. Oh, you're absolutely right. Look at that. Things <laughs> coming together. Serendipitous. Also debuting this week in theaters in 1992, the original Candyman. Got, I definitely was not watching that. I don't, I don't even watch horror movies nowadays, as you know. Yeah, I, I wasn't into any of those movies. I was far more interested in everything else at the box office, chiefly movies like Captain Ron. All right, let's tie her off and 
kick back some cold ones, huh? Very, very small recollection of that movie. We will be watching that because that's the sort of trash I like. And Batman Returns. Oh, I like that movie. Yes, Michelle Pfeiffer. Best Catwoman ever. Oh, my Catwoman. Let's <laughs> Meow. Though, Danny, you might have been. You were seven, so my little brother is the same age as you. What about the Mighty Ducks? That was a huge film at the time. I didn't see it in the theaters, but I did see it at home and at camp a few times. That's, Day camp. Yeah, that's a camp movie, all yeah. right. What'd you do, my joke? Let's move over to TV. And we don't talk soap operas, though... We had some fun soap opera st- conversation earlier, uh, thanks to my mom's birthday. But on One Life to Live, a young Ryan Phillippe, former Mr. Reese Witherspoon, he played a character named Billy Douglas. And he was the first openly gay teenager featured on a TV series. How old was he in this? Good question. Quite young. Wow. I didn't even know he played a gay role. Neither did I, though I really wish his... Cruel Intentions character had gotten into some of that, but let's see, how old was he? An interesting aside, I'm finding out all these previous uh, roles Pedro Pascal did. He was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Undressed as a Gay Man. Yep. He's done a lot. Yeah, I had no idea. He's blown up, though, recently. Good for him. I like him. Ryan Phillippe was 18 at the time. Okay. So very, very young. It's one of his early roles. And in fact, when he tried out for the role, he didn't even know that the character was gay. The character was named Billy, like the Billy Douglas, and he was the class president. He was kind of your cliched closeted jock, which is perfect for the time because it's really sort of bringing it to the fore, saying that like, this thing is right underneath your nose. And Philippi was pretty reluctant when he found out that he was going to be playing a gay character. This is one of his first acting roles. It was 1992. But he did give an interview to Entertainment Weekly back then, and he said, quote, I thought, what is my family going to think? What about my friends? But then I realized that for Billy, the torment is a hundred times that, end quote, Mm -hmm. which is pretty astute. I mean, he had people, of course, but but still, I think that's a very, a very good showing. Here's a photo from the show. Wow. Yeah, he's an infant. He does not look 18. He looks like he's 15. Well, he remembers, but maybe you don't remember being a teenager. Some, you know, aged at different rates, visually at least. I mean, I looked like a kid forever. Yeah. What's, like another aside, I wonder how old he was when he played, when he was in Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions was what, 1999, 98? And so that would be, what, six years after this? So he's 27. Wow. Playing high school. That seems to be the theme of this episode today. (laughs) Yes, but before we start talking about teens, let's talk about some elderly ladies. Golden Girls had ended the season before, so CBS took over, and they're now airing episodes of Golden Palace on Friday nights. Which only lasted a season, right? Yes, barely. And I've actually never seen any of it, except for the last episodes with Dorothy. And, ooh, I don't like it. I've only seen like one or two episodes of The Golden Palace. I don't like it at all. And unfortunately for the ladies, they were on Friday nights, which they were up against the primetime of TGIF. Oh, no. Yeah. and Doomed to fail. Exactly. They probably were positioning it in that way. But TGIF, again, as we talk about frequently, uh, they have a really strong lineup here. They're opening with Family Matters. Not Full House. Full House is still airing on Tuesdays at this time. So if there's Family Matters, followed by your favorite. Step by Step. Exactly. Yes. And then one of my favorites, Jim Henson's Dinosaurs. Oh, I did. 
I didn't realize that was TGIF. I thought that was like a like a morning show for what for some reason. Nope, one season TGIF thing. Mm. And finishing the lineup was a forgotten show, as we've seen many times, and we've talked about this. This one's called Camp Wilder. Lasted one season. I certainly didn't remember it. I know you won't, but it had a crazy cast. The series was about a single mother, and she ends up raising her two siblings after their parents die, which was kind of a thing back then. There's Disney movies, Party of Five. Party of Five, I was going to say that, definitely. That whole thing. But the tension comes from her having to raise those kids, plus her teen siblings, all of their friends come over. So this is ostensibly Camp Wilder. And the tension comes from all those kids running around or whatever. Among the actors that regularly appeared, there was Jay Moore, who was a comedian at the time. He was on Saturday Night Live for a little bit. He played a gay guy in Go. Okay. He's a funny guy. Jerry O'Connell. Okay. This is three years before Sliders. He's so cute. He's super cute back then. Tina Majorino. You would know her because she's the little girl from Waterworld and the love interest from Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, my God. And uh, Corinna Corinna. Yes. And she was also in Veronica Mars as one of her friends. You need to watch that. That's good. And who else was on it? Jared Leto. Oh. Two years before My So-Called Life. And finally, future Oscar winner, Hilary Swank. (gasps) Yeah, this was a big cast. I remember, first time I remember seeing Hilary Swank was The Next Karate Kid. My favorite film of hers, but... That's just saying. But that's enough for 1992 context. Let's get to our Baywatch basics for this episode. And Big cast this episode. Yes, yes. A, a wonderful cast. In fact, this whole I love everyone. We first have Jimmy Slade. Your favorite. Yes, played by Kelly Slater, professional surfer and semi-professional actor. Uh, that's being generous. <laughs> well, he is getting paid for it. Yeah. So uh, next up, we have his buddy, Matt Brody, played by David Charvert. Your French favorite. Mmm, those lips. Mmm. He was actually a pop singer, too. Shut up. Cut in a little snippet right here. (laughs) No problem. Next, we have the hero of the beach, Mitch Buchanan, David Hasselhoff himself, Followed by Garner Ellerby, our favorite beach cop, Gregory Allen Williams. Uh, there's Summer Quinn, silly, silly Summer, who's played by Nicole Eggard. Uh-huh. And then, I don't know, I go back and forth with Summer. And the last time, well, the previous episode to this, she had her mom with her. And her mom, Jackie, rules. But this oh, yeah. time, it's just Summer. Oh, come on, way. Come on. I like Jackie. Yeah, Jackie. Jackie's pretty great. And then finally, for the main cast... The best member of Baywatch, C.J. Parker. I was going to say the most famous. Well. Infamous. Right. Well, the most dazzling, I would (laughs) say. Yes, Pamela Anderson. Now, we have a number of guest stars, but I kind of debated. We went back and forth. I'm going to bring them up as they come up, and we'll talk about some of their details, because I have something for everybody. Mm. But for now... Let's get into our episode. Baywatch, Season 3, Episode 6, Showdown at Malibu Beach High. Is it really a showdown? Not quite, but you've got to have a dramatic title (laughs) to hook people in, and it worked for me. But we open with primitive drums as a young Native American man climbs up a hill. And once he reaches the top... A hawk screams above him, and we'll see and hear this stock footage many times this episode. damn it. This fucking hawk. (laughs) 
hey, at least it's a nice audio thing that we can use over and over. And then, not only is there a hawk, but there's also a deer. A deer with some giant scary looking antlers. But like, this is such a cliche Native American trope, and it happens a lot in this episode. I feel like it's borderline offensive. Nowadays, yes. I would say this would very much cross over the line, like you say, into tokenism. Mm -hmm. There's no question. It's all cliches. But it's 1992. Let's put on our rose-colored glasses, <laughs> and let's think back to a easier time. And we will. But let's talk about what this young man is wearing. He is shirtless, but with a leather vest over top, <laughs> which I gotta say, that can't be great in Southern California. Whatever. He's also got, as you say, with these Native American cliches, he's got one of those bone chokers on, mm -hmm. which always looks pretty cool, and very nice-fitting jeans. A reminder that 1992 was before everyone was just covered in fabric. Baggy was not in style yet. No, we have some high waists, but at least we can make out what's underneath. <laughs> and we'll find out later that this young man is bear. Yes. He's communing with nature. He nuzzles this deer, this filthy, nasty, tick-ridden deer. He goes up and basically kisses it. Is Lyme disease big in California? I don't know, but I don't trust deer. I know it's big in New Jersey. I, if I see a deer, <laughs> I'm assuming it's tick-ridden. It's probably got some disease with it. Now... Bear seems thoughtful, but uh, but happy, at least until he stops and stares at a giant sign of things to come, which are the Malibu Coast condominiums. Encroaching on the land. Exactly. We don't know much other than he's not happy about it. But the sign promises custom floor plans, units available from 2,000 to 5,000 square feet, and you can move in by the fall. Did it say price? No prices were listed, but with a view like that, I'm assuming that it's up there. And plus, you're in Malibu. I was just wondering, curious about how it was like back in that time. We'll have to do some research for mm. that. But real quick, Bear, his, name, his character's name is Bear Sutter, which uh, you're making name of the Native American character Bear. Whatever. Bear Sutter. He's played by an actor named Zahn McLaren. He's a longtime actor, been in a million things, often as the spiritual Native American guy. Mm. But hey, man, work is work. Yeah. But enough of this calm, placid nature scene. Dune buggy chase time. We slam to the beach and we see Jimmy Slade and Matt. They're hot dogging across the beach in these bitchin' dune buggies. They are apparently not supposed to be doing this, which I would imagine not. Yeah, they're quite dangerously racing around with these things. They're jumping over dunes. They almost crash into each other multiple times, and there's no way they're being cognizant of anyone else around them on the beach. So this scene confused me at first because I saw them doing it, but then like I, we find out later they're being chased by Garner on his four-wheeler and Mitch in a truck. In, in a truck. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is this like so early in the season before Matt became a lifeguard? But no, we he's... A lifeguard at this point. And he knows what he's doing is wrong. And Slade and Matt are able to evade Mitch and Garner, but mainly due to Garner's unfortunate luck. Which is the second time we've... Actually, probably the third time we've seen him faceplant in the sand. Garner's on his four-wheeler, exposed to the elements, and he is trailing behind Mitch in his pickup, which is continually throwing dirt, mud, sand, water into his face. And at one point, due to the lack of visibility, he slams into this pole, this log that's just in the middle of the beach, and flies forward. Yes, face first, into the sand, 
and he's nearly crushed by his four-wheeler. So we, I know we've been keeping track of like how many towers explode, which unfortunately has not happened that many times. Ugh, we thought it was going to be a lot more. We need to keep in track of how many times Garner face plants in sand. It's a poor man, but it also explains his later decisions. <laughs> the dune buggy boys, they make their getaway and we fade to Baywatch headquarters. Not just headquarters, the best part of headquarters. The showers. Yes, and somehow between the beach and the showers, which has got to be some considerable distance, Garner has stayed completely covered in sand. He is undressed, showering, but there's still sand all over his face and chest. How the hell did that happen? I don't know. But this is a very interesting scene because not only do we see Mitch Buchanan in a Speedo. Showering with Garner. But we see Garner in... I assume is a leopard print Speedo, or either that or a leopard print underwear. I'm assuming it was a Speedo since it was a thicker material that we couldn't see through when it was, <laughs> when it was wet. But yes, uh, he made, cuts a nice shape, uh, Mr. Garner. Good for these guys right here rocking the Speedos. This was my favorite scene, I think, of the episode. Which is saying a lot, because honestly, there's a lot of highlights in yeah. this episode. It's clunky, it's silly, it's stupid, but there's lots of high points. And for me... Hell, you text me the first moment you saw it and you were like, Garner in a Speedo. And I was, that was it. <laughs> I, was, I was on board. And that's great. I'm excited. But Garner is not. Pissed off. He's livid. Oh, that's it. That's it. The final straw. And unfortunately for him, his best friend is Mitch, who is... <laughs> Has no compassion in this scene. Is only interested in needling. Well, you, you know, you see your fin face plant in the sand. You you gotta rib them. Ah, uh, what the hell, little Knievel? We'll get him next time. I suppose. But Garner's there, pouring his guts out, saying how much he despises working at the beach, which we've never got a hint of before. But it, we get a little background on Garner that he only ended up stationed at the beach because he was demoted as a result of some violence at his workplace. All I had to do was apologize for breaking his nose, but no, I gotta tell him I enjoy it. Some people just don't appreciate honesty. I th it must have been like a 90s thing, but I can't imagine he would not have gotten fired for what he did. Like we've seen many times, <laughs> the HR department at Baywatch is not very active, and maybe it was across the board that there wasn't that much middle management at the time. Things would change, but Garner did get punished as a result of punching his captain and it was to be sent to the sand beach cop yep and he's decided enough is enough not just does he have to deal with the sand and the water and the people and mitch at all times he's over it he's ready to go back to the office and he's decided he's going to swallow his pride bitch time a little background of why he punched his boss was i guess he was working case and his boss took credit for it or something it was a little money for me but that's that's the long and short yeah. of it and i don't know whether by taking credit for garner's work that this guy didn't get the promotion to be his boss mm. which led to this and they don't clear that up but yes garner was at least justified in being livid that somebody took his hard work and assumed full credit Garner, he laughs like a madman. On his way out. Yep. Because he's over it and he's just gonna, he's out of it. Oh, nice working with you. Yes, he's, he's done. This is his breaking point and good for him. As he exits, he nearly runs into a very hot unnamed lifeguard. He's been out in the sun too long. 
This was going to be my sud watch if we didn't see someone hotter later in the episode. Well, it's a good thing this guy wasn't your stud watch, Denny, because in the previous episode, Peer Pressure, he was our stud watch. Oh, shut up. And I'm almost 100% certain that this guy is Brad. Oh, you think about it, it's Brad. Who is portrayed by an actor named Chris Fiore. He's actually a regular cast, not regular cast member, but a unlisted cast yeah. member. And he appears in 96 episodes of the series. Half of those as Brad, half of them as a guy named Chris. <laughs> so we'll need to keep our eye out for him because he cuts a really nice shape. We're going to have to do a, a Chris watch or a Brad watch. <laughs> Chris or Brad, who is he today? Now we move from the excitement, the titillation of the men's locker room to the far more boring girls' locker room. Uh. Yeah, where CJ's cleavage threatens to take over everything. <laughs> Summer is busy whining to CJ about the upcoming first day of school. She doesn't have anything to wear. I think I need a new outfit. Won't you help me pick it out, please? How terrible. She's begging CJ to go shopping with her to help her pick out something. Which... Based on what CJ's wearing here, I don't know if that's the best choice, Summer. Summer, she's wearing cut-off jean shorts and a sleeveless button-down that is tied up sort of under her boobs, exposing her stomach. It's, it's kind of cute or whatever. Meanwhile, CJ, she's wearing what looks to be a jumper, <laughs> a short, sleeveless, lavender jumper with a plunging neckline. It's practically drew her belly button with a jangly necklace, big sunflower on it, and a beaded purse, which may be a visual reference to the Native American stuff happening elsewhere in the episode. Mm. Who's to say? But CJ, she's more level-headed than Summer. We, we know that. And she s tries to tell her that it doesn't matter what you're wearing. People are going to be impressed by who you're dating. You're dating Slade. The surf god. I mean, he's gorgeous. The girls are going to go crazy when they see you with him. Which is kind of a shitty advice to give a girl. It's like your only value is who you're dating. It was 1992. Ally McBeal was coming very soon. We know that these <laughs> sorts of thoughts were in people's head. But yeah, it's, it's definitely not what one would call a feminist message. But... No wonder she got a eating disorder later in the season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot all about the poor Summer. It's okay. CJ relents, and they're going to go shopping. It's some shop on the pier, which... Had funky style or something like that. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, who Did Summer drag CJ out by the hand, or did CJ drag Summer out by the hand? I forget who. CJ dragged her out, because she was... She, was she got excited. She got excited, and who doesn't like to dress people? <laughs> I mean, I would be into it, too. Elsewhere at Baywatch headquarters, Mitch is now busy with paperwork. It must be later on in the day, and he gets a call from Matt. Matt's asking for the weekend off. He was supposed to lifeguard this weekend, but... Sorry, Mitch. I really wanted to work this weekend, but uh, with school starting Monday and my parents are out of town... He really would like that time to just prepare. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, exactly. Matt's got some ulterior motives. He's calling from the beach, by the way. In front of his dune buggy. From his cellular telephone. It's 1992, and it's a flip phone. The giant brick with mm -hmm. the very small little tab right. that flips off mm -hmm. with the pull-out antenna. Now, before, though, Mitch is going to let Matt off for the weekend, he asks him to keep an eye out for any information whatsoever about the mystery dune buggy guys. From his high school friends. In particular, the high school friends, yes. So Mitch knows it must be a young person. And at this point, he doesn't think it's Matt at all. But Matt is certainly feeling guilt. At this point, like, I don't know much about Matt's background. I do know that Slade is a poor beach bum. 
So I was kind of wondering, where did these doom buggies come from? And I think it's obvious later in the episode where they came from. Yes. Uh, Matt seems to have a much more comfortable background <laughs> than almost any other character we've ever met. In fact, it's kind of one questionable why he's lifeguarding. Maybe because he doesn't have to do anything else. True. Matt agrees to ask around, avoiding having to lie because Mitch doesn't call him on it exactly. And the best news is... Does that mean the party's still on? The party is still on. Mm. And yes, they're going to continue to have whatever party coming up. They give each other the sort of like high five handshake bro thing that you would see in Predator. You son of a bitch. And they speed off in their doom buggy. <laughs> Certainly, I think they're my favorite romance on the show. Cody and Numi are a good pairing, and Cody and JD are probably the hottest. Sean and JD. Oh. There was that one scene where well, they, they yeah, should have kissed. Yeah, that's very true. Well, these two, though, I, I, I really like their chemistry, especially compared to Kelly Slater's acting ability. Like, something more naturalistic comes through when they're together. And then, next scene, we get to see my favorite guest star of all time. You're a liar, and everyone knows it. And who is this, Denny? Elizabeth Berkeley, Miss Jessie Spano. Oh, not according to my ID. AKA in this episode, Courtney, but I will only refer to her as Jessie. Yes, this is Courtney Brammer, played by Elizabeth Berkeley. And in the last episode that we covered in the season, right before this episode, in peer pressure, both of us were quite enamored of this cunt. She was <laughs> so nasty, so bitchy, so terrible. And I lamented, oh, we're never going to see her again. Well, no. We got lucky. We get her only other appearance in Baywatch the episode following. And I will admit, she's not so nasty in this episode. Well, she does some shady things, but like she's not outright like mean. That's true, but that's because she's mainly dealing with Slade. Mm. And where are we? We're on a secluded stretch of beach. And in the previous episode, Courtney had let us know. I live on the largest horse ranch in Malibu. It has a private beach. The day you have to pull me out of the water is the day the ocean freezes over. She is horseback riding on the beach. Of course she is. And she's looking quite good in her riding pants and riding boots and sleeveless top. She is looking amazing. Yes, which is bad news for Slade. Well, bad news for Summer. I guess it's good news for Slade. Oh, yeah. Slade, which we haven't said, is busy surfing on this beach. He doesn't care where he is. He's just looking for the greatest waves. And once he makes his way to shore, Courtney is very quick to let him know just who this beach belongs to. She isn't upset by any means. Absolutely not. No, if anything, it's a way to impress Slade. And it actually does. He isn't a very complicated person. And as we'll see, he doesn't really consider that people might have ulterior motives. So he's just taking her at her word. Not that she's a bitch showing off. And... Courtney decides to, like, basically grill him for more background information. Information is everything. That's true. Last episode, we saw that she knew everything about him. Knew where he came from, where he was living, what he's into, everything. And I guess this is how she finds stuff out. She just puts the drill and pushes. So she gets off her horse and she um, strokes his board. Very slowly, very suggestively. And she asks... Why do you like riding these things? Exactly. And he turns it around to her. Well, why do you like riding horses? And her response was extremely sexual. I love the way a horse feels when he's under me. Being in control is something so powerful. Well, I'll substitute a wave for a horse and you've got your answer. 
Oh my goodness. And Slade likes surfing for the same reason. Mm. But he pretty much just says, okay, bye, and like walks away. Yeah, because again, he's an uncomplicated guy. He He's surfing. I'm done surfing. I'm now leaving. But that's not enough for Courtney. Mm-mm. She's quick to catch him and to keep talking more and more about his surfing and starts pulling out of him like, what would it take for you to be able to make this a career? And Slade shares with us as usual, he's got no money. Well, Courtney's certainly got deep pockets and she also has a connection to the whole world. Her mother is a talent agent. And not only that, but she wants to follow in her footsteps. Yeah, which sort of intimates that they have a complicated, messy relationship, Courtney and her mother. And in particular, she's looking to one-up her. Mm-hmm. She mentions... That she's never sponsored or never managed a athlete. That's not the word that she uses. Oh. She's never handled an athlete. I want to... I want to do something my mother has never done before. Cue me in my jerking handoff motion. Well... <laughs> I mean, I'd love to handle Slade myself. So the offer of help is well-received. Slade is very open to this. Somebody's going to help me get a sponsor, get paid for, et cetera, et cetera. What's bad here? I'd be down. And I mean, hell, it's a great offer. And oftentimes, if things seem too good to be true, they are. But we don't get an answer right now. Just the two of them sharing knowing smiles as we smash cut to Malibu Beach High, and it's the first day of school and our first montage. As we get into this montage, Denny, I'm confused. The whole reason that I'm using the German DVDs as a source for our episodes of Baywatch is because I'm sort of a freak about fidelity. I want this to be as authentic an experience as possible. And admittedly, the Baywatch remastered episodes are beautiful. They look immeasurably better than these. However, they do crop out an awful lot. By the ones the, on Hulu? ones on Hulu or Amazon. Okay. They, they, they're widescreen. The show was not shot in widescreen. They make some weird editing choices. And the thing that bothers me the most, and this is from a kid growing up with MTV, trying to watch those shows now, all of the music replacements. Mm. It drives me nuts. I want to know what it was when it was on. Give it to me. And... I was told that the German DVDs were the place to go. Well, this montage features a song I had never heard before. Did it sound familiar to you at all? Not really. Well, so I, I had to do a little research to figure out what it was. I used Shazam to figure out what it was. And the song is Your Touch by a woman named Kimbra Westervelt. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of that either. And as I looked deeper, it seems like the song was made for the Night at the Roxbury soundtrack. Of that movie. Which is great, but it came out in 1998, six years after this, this episode. episode. Mm. Right. So I'm going to have to do some more annoying research to figure out precisely mm. what's going on, but I am disappointed. Yeah. Hoodwink. Mm. Looks like I'll have to be investing in some German Blu-rays now. But let's go back to Malibu Beach High and our in-process montage. We get Short this- one. It's just a little short montage. It is, but they pack a shit ton in there. Now, let's first talk, though, since it's first day of school, let's talk about first day fashions. Mm. So the teens are all arriving for the day, and Matt shows up to school on a motorcycle with some random chick on the back. He's wearing black jeans with a white tee tucked in 
And I know I just said previously that people were wearing things that fit a little better, but his open outer shirt is gigantic. <laughs> it's like rolled up on his sleeves, but they're so baloney. It's, it's, it's crazy. Kind of like uh, what Billy Warlock would wear. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Now, Slade, he's ushered to school by Courtney in her red Mercedes convertible. Of course. This bitch. He's wearing a striped ringer tee and jeans, looking actually like a high school student. Meanwhile, she's wearing a purple mini dress with matching purse. Was he, he probably actually was the one of the few people that was actual high school age at this point, wasn't he? Absolutely not. No. Let's, if you've asked, let's dive in real quick. Okay. And we're gonna talk about the ages. So, Jimmy Slade, Kelly Slater, at this time is 20 years old in okay. real life, all right? Matt Brody, played by David Chevert is also 20. Summer Quinn, played by Nicole Eggard. Her character is supposed to be 17, which we knew from the previous episode. Her actress, actually 20. Okay. And for reasons that we'll find out, CJ Parker, played by Pamela Anderson. I have no idea how old the character is, but I'm assuming younger because Pamela Anderson at this time was 25. So all the kids are 20 at this point, okay. Yeah, it's sort of a, it's a little bit of a 90210 thing going on. And in what must be a really bad idea if you're trying to get attention for yourself, Summer's been driven to school by CJ. <laughs> and nobody's going to notice you when CJ's around Summer. Come on. I don't know. Based on what she's wearing, I think she's going to get a lot of looks. Well, first, CJ, she's driving a gigantic red GMC pickup truck with all the gear on it. She looks like the coolest chick around. Summer, though, she's wearing black shorts. I assume they're maybe bicycle shorts or something. I, in a later episode, it looked like there was a kind of like a wrap, so maybe they're like um, a skort? Skort! Mm, yeah. Even worse. Well, well, what about the top? The top, okay, the top is okay. I don't know what's going on. Is she going to like uh, like a belly dancing place or something? It's a glorified bra. Yeah, basically. It's a black bikini style top with these sort of stars embroidered on them. Yeah, like, like the beadwork a little bit. Yeah, and then ringing the bottom, you know, right above her belly, are all these, like, beaded tassels that just be bouncing around all day. She looks, I don't know what the hell's and, going on And with when summer. you see her, her from the back, it has a bra clasp. Yeah. It's, so she's wearing a glorified bra to school on the first day. Madonna had an outsized influence on youth culture for a very long time. And I can see maybe that being part of that whole sort of like, let's mix night wear with everyday wear sort of thing, but it does not work on summer. I can understand a girl trying to do that. I cannot fathom a school that would allow her to wear that. This is Malibu Beach High, Denny, and they have surfing as a class. So this is a different environment than we grew up in. I, I'm still not buying it, but sure, let's go with it. Now, throughout the montage, we get lots of shots of random teenagers and people that aren't teenagers, but playing teenagers, including the huffing hunk that we'll meet later. We'll talk about him when we get to him. And he's pretty. He's gorgeous. And in this montage, he he's not doing anything but posing up against some lockers like he's ready for a magazine <laughs> shoot. It was great. And then we also see Bear, the Native American guy from earlier. He's wandering around campus as well, and they're both th thankfully sleeveless, <laughs> as they should be. And the montage continues on. It is short, but like I said, a lot happens. CJ is staying at the high school for some reason. She's just strolling through campus, and I'm sorry, she is dressed 
highly inappropriately for an, adu an adult being in a high school. What's she wearing, Denny? She's wearing a crop top, but like, it's like, it's almost like showing under boob. And it's actually the high school shirt with the logo on it, which sort of lets us know that their mascot are dolphins, of course. And yes, the way that she's cut it off, if she had, let's say, human-sized breasts instead of Pamela Anderson's beautiful bosom, it might fit a little less, easier. But this, no, those those boys are keeping the shirt high. And she does look good. She does. And we find out why she's at the high school later. Right. The montage is ending, but we see that Matt, he's already a very popular guy. He's handing out flyers to this party that he's having, the one that he's ditching his job for. Printed flyers for a high school party? California is a whole different world. The only thing I can think of was the scene from uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, where they throw the flyers down the stairs, everyone's grabbing them. Yes, from there. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this is quite a number of years before that. Matt and Summer are together as the montage ends officially, and they meet up with Bear. It turns out that Matt and him are old friends, and Bear tries to extol the virtues of going out to the desert for some spiritual cleansing, but... All that sand and no beach? Forget it, man. And Summer is completely not listening because she is has spotted something in the back that has troubling her. Yeah, being the rude young lady that she can be, as Matt's trying to introduce her to Bear, her focus is completely on Slade, who is being ushered around by our favorite Courtney. Jesse Spano. Exactly. He's introducing her, actually, to her whole squad of Major League bitches. They're each dressed skankier than the other, but among them is your other favorite, Denny, Tiara English. Oh. I'm Tiara English. I was sure she would never appear again, but yeah. there she is. She doesn't have any lines, but at least she's there. But I can give Summer a pass for being kind of rude, because at this point, I think her and Slade are dating. Summer thinks they are dating. CJ thinks they are dating. Matt thinks at least they're involved. And as we'll see, Slade thinks they're dating. Maybe he really is so simple that he's not giving any thought. I'm just hanging out with this other human being that's doing something good for me. I, I can give him a pass. I mean, it's not like they're really kissing. She, they're walking arm in arm, but she is like introducing him stuff. So yeah. it is, I can get why he would maybe think that this is just a friendly thing. But Summer, on the other hand, is definitely getting bad vibes about it. She had a really bad run in with Courtney the first time she met her. There's no reason to assume that she's going to change her ways now. Mm -hmm. And Courtney already made it very clear that she's quite interested in Slade. So there you go. Matt quickly brings Summer back to Earth. He likens Courtney to Alexis Carrington. She's what Alexis Carrington must have been like in high school. Did you get this reference? Is that Dynasty? Yes, it is. That is the epic bitch who was played by Joan Collins yeah. from Dynasty. And by this point in 1992, Dynasty had been off the air for a number of years. So I maybe you watched it in reruns. I don't know. Matt's supposed to be a teenager, remember? Yeah. But time passes, which we know because we fade out from our fun teen thing to a sack of chalk. And Bear is starting to lay out some sort of drawing. Well, he opens his backpack and it is inside. You see a baggie of chalk and Lots underneath that, big old chains. I didn't even notice the chains at first, but yes, Denny, what will those be for? We well, don't know. And we don't even know what he's drawing. He just starts drawing right on the entrance of the school. Exactly. The giant sign for Malibu Beach High, that main breezeway. He, is, he knows what he's doing. And 
what could he be drawing? We don't know because we have to go to commercial. Meet the babes of Bayside High. There's Zach. He's popular with pretty girls, principals, and parents. And there's A.C. Slater. Mmm, he's strong. It's not good to be afraid of your girlfriend. A real macho man. Make a date with the babes of Bayside High. Catch the next Saved by the Bell. Weekdays at 4 on WGN. Now, before we get back to the show, Denny, a little behind-the-scenes stuff. What am I wearing? Bayside Tigers? Oh, my God, I didn't even notice. T-I-G-E-R-S. 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 We're the Bayside Tigers, and we're on the prowl. When we come to your school, we will make you howl. Hear the Bayside Tigers growl. Every episode we record, I make sure to wear my own pair of Hot red shorts, yes. But today, in honor of our Jesse Spangal, our favorite guest star, yes, well, I am wearing my Bayside Tiger shirt, as a festive person should. Bear is well into his drawing at this time, and it seems to be a sun, or maybe the inside of a citrus fruit. I have it in my notes. It's like a sunburst, but like in the very center, it's like an orange slice. Yeah, exactly. Which maybe that means something. We don't know. But that's the bell. We gotta go. It's the first day. We can't be late for class. First period. Exactly. And we actually don't have a class right now. We're headed to orientation for new students. Which is weird that it's orientation is only in one classroom, like not an auditorium. It's a, Maybe it's a very small class of new students. Whatever. It's, it's Baywatch. Everything is weird. What else is weird? Kids can bring surfboards to class. Summer is trailing behind a guy just walking in with a surfboard. They have surf class at Malibu High, so... Which the principal lets us know as he introduces everything. But first... First. Summer walks in and she sees Slade, already seated at a desk. He sees Herb and, like, he kind of, like, motions to, like, where he's saving a seat next to him. Right in the front row. So Summer... I, I, I was confused by the scene. Because it looks like he's saying, no, the seat's taken, you can't sit next to me. No. But she walks by, but then he gets up and then sits next to her. It just, the look on his face and the, his hand gesture just did not match what was he was trying to convey. This time I watched the Amazon Prime version remastered and I watched our German DVD. Partially because I really wanted to watch it in two ways, but also the music thing was driving me crazy. And it's very clear. He was motioning, hey, I've saved the seat for you. He's super happy to see her. And right. why wouldn't he be? Nothing bad has happened. Again, Slade doesn't exist in the same world as the rest of us with interior lives. He is too pure a man for this world. Well, okay, so with that in context, when she sees this, she basically rolls her eyes and sits somewhere else. You'd think she would pass out from as much <laughs> as she's rolling her eyes this episode. And yeah, she moves further to the back, and luckily there's a seat right behind her. Slade takes it right away. And he compliments her goofy outfit. I like your outfit, is it new? No, it's nothing special. Which Summer blows him off. She knows that her outfit looks like shit. And he chooses this time to start oversharing about how bad things are with his dad. He's actually getting sort of intimate about the details of just how bad things were at home. Every time we got drunk, I became the enemy. Why he's basically homeless now. And Summer doesn't care. She says, tell Jesse. Exactly. She's sure that his eyes are on Courtney and she's nobody's second. Which, you know, it, it's fair to her, but I feel like she could have... I mean, this high school, they're very immature. Exactly. She could have just said, look... What's going on? Yeah, what's going on with you and Jesse? Like, you're walking arm in arm with her. As we've seen with Summer, though, she doesn't confront things. <laughs> she avoids them quite a bit, and 
the biggest reminder of why that is she's in high school she's a kid of course she's gonna be like this yeah. it puts her later eating disorder in a whole different light as well and her relationship with matt and slate like it, it makes distorts everything for me he tries to reassure her look it's just business she's just trying to help me get a sponsor that's all it's just for my surfing career mm -hmm. he really is sort of incredulous i mean i've met people like that glenn can be like that sometimes just like i am accepting reality as it is in front of me if you're choosing to look for more, that's on you. It doesn't matter. I love Kelly Slater. He can do no wrong. But I have to say, he is too damn tan <laughs> in this scene. This boy is spending too much time at the beach. And well, he doesn't have a home. He lives in a van. So, of course, he's going to be in the sun all the time. Th that's true. But somebody needs to give him a higher SPF <laughs> or something. Here, Summer makes a Dynasty reference herself. Oh, right. Why don't you go watch reruns of Dynasty or something? Which totally confuses Slade. And he has this just terrific reaction that I'm going to capture. This is when the principal arrives, Principal Richmond, and he actually appears, well, the actor, David Spielberg, no relation to Steven. Oh, I was going to ask. No, no. Uh, he does appear in four different episodes, but only as Principal Raymond this one time. He's arriving. He's, he's going to explain how everything works. He talks about the surf class, talks about this or that. But he also stresses that Malibu Beach High is a serious place with a real curriculum and blah, blah, blah. Wing, wing. Exactly. We cut away here to find Bear continuing his drawing. Is is this some sort of class? Yeah, I was going to say, like, is he does he go to the school or is he just hanging out? Who Who knows what's going on? Elsewhere, though, Matt's getting chatted up by two cute girls when CJ bounces by. Literally bounces by palming a volleyball. And, of course, he chases after, as any red-blooded heterosexual man would. Hell, I'd probably follow her. He invites her to his rager on Saturday. And this is where I have written, what the hell are their ages supposed to be? Yeah, he is clearly flirting with her. Yes, and they have chemistry. Yeah, and she's... Being like coy, but like, you know, she's like, I have to work. I can't do it. And we also find out, like, I guess the school has some budget cuts. And so, yes, she's going to be a temporary coach, which I can only imagine what the boys' locker room must be <laughs> if CJ is in attendance. Gracious. Yes. <laughs> Turns out there's been a lot of budget cuts at the school, but they're all going to be fixed once the school sells off this particular plot of land. Which is weird that a school would own a plot of land. It's also incredibly weird that the principal is so involved in the decision making, but again, it's Baywatch. Matt and CJ, they yeah. have an awful lot of chemistry. Why? I mean, I know why. Tell me why. Well, I mean, they're both fucking hot. Well, and what else, Denny? David Chavere and Pamela Anderson were dating in real life at this time. Okay. I always get her that confused. I always think she was dating Chokachi. She never dated Ch David Chokachi. Let's tell the story one more time. She dated David Chaver. They no longer dated, but they still had a good relationship. She ended up hooking up with Tommy Lee. They got married. David Chokachi's on the show. She had to tell Tommy Lee that Chokachi was gay because Tommy Lee would get so incensed about their relationship on the show. So she had to lie. I didn't know about that part. Yeah, Danny. Oh, my goodness. I thought I told you that before. Yes. I don't but, even remember. I watched the Pamela and Tommy Hulu special, and I don't think they mentioned that. You mean the miniseries? Yeah. No, they don't talk about Baywatch nearly enough for my taste. I mean, they got, got gotten rid of that talking dick and brought in some more <laughs> Baywatch stuff for my taste. But anyway, it must be the end of the day, and everybody's headed home now. Well, I want to pause oh, for a sure. second. Like, it's weird to me that they're obviously insinuating that they have interest in each other. Matt and CJ. Yes. Matt is in high school. CJ is clearly an adult if she's going to be coaching. 
So it, it's a weird dynamic. It really is. Maybe it's because we're thinking of most of these people as adults. And I think part of that is that we were kids when this was on. So anybody older, hell, a teenager was a grown up practically when yeah. I was young. So maybe CJ's only 18 or 19. Maybe she's just graduated high school. Remember, we haven't covered it on Hot Red Shorts, but we've watched her debut episode. Yes. And she's an outdoorsy type, very different than a typical woman. Hell, maybe she finished high school early. And it turns out that she's the same age as them. Yeah. We, it's it, just, it just it struck me weird. It is, it is strange, but we don't have time for that now because Courtney arrives. We get more of her and she snags Slade right away. She has an agenda and she also already has a potential sponsor. That's some fast moving, Courtney. Good on you. She needs to show her mom up. And she's ready to because they've got to hurry downtown right now to meet with this sponsor. Sportswear sponsor. A swimwear sponsor. That was what I meant, swimwear. Hopefully some Speedos. speedos. But we don't ever get to see that. No, and we'll talk about that in a bit. In the meantime, though, Summer spies the whole interaction. She sees them hand in hand and is further destroyed. She's going to take a lot of hits in this episode. <laughs> but then there's a sort of commotion. Yes, yeah, a ruckus. For the, the front of the school. Everyone's like walking over there. So Summer makes her way over there to see what's going on. And we see that Bear has chained himself to two pylons and I guess is doing some sort of protest. Yes, he has secured himself in a very, very noticeable area, the main breezeway that everybody's walking by, and he's standing in the center of his chalk drawing, which, yes, as, as we've seen, is a sunburst surrounding a citrus fruit, <laughs> which, hey, it's fine. And Matt is there, too. Matt, CJ, Summer, it's bringing everybody because this, I mean, hell's the first day of school. This is the most exciting thing that's happened. And Matt almost steps on the chalk drawing, but Bear lets him know, you don't want to do that. And so Matt fully respects him. He's a good guy. And CJ must know Bear too. Bear, what's this all about? He's protesting the school's development of the land he was on earlier. That sacred Shumash land that the school needs to sell in order to keep funding going. Which, you know, Malibu High, you wouldn't think it's a poor district. Which Summer will hit on uh, the ultimate solution. But <laughs> the principal appears again, which really tells us why they had him teaching the orientation class. We had one less actor. and You could introduce him early on. And he's pissed about, well, any disruption to the school day, but especially something political like this. And he instructs a very cute student named Gary. He's like super 90s looking. He's got those goofy glasses and everything. He sends him to Metal Shop to get some tools and to cut Bear down. He's not going to stand for this nonsense. Did you have metal shop in your high school? No, but we did have auto shop. I had wood shop in middle school, and that's like the most expensive extracurricular activity I think I've had my whole school career. You did wood shop? I did in middle school. Like we just basically used the little saw things to like cut out pieces of wood. The little saw things. I'm glad you learned so much. Is that a band saw? What was it called? It doesn't matter. Anyways. Time well spent. (laughs) Clearly. I made a doorstop. Now, oh. With a cat figurine. Of course. Of course I did. Denny, the only male cat lady around. (laughs) Anyway, Bear and the principal proceed to argue about what's going on, which is good because it lets us know what the hell is going on and lays everything out clearly. Bear wants this sacred land protected. The principal, the school needs money. What are we going to do? And plus, we learn here, 
No one's proven that land is sacred on any level whatsoever. If there was evidence, well, maybe then we could do something. But right now, it's Bear's word and nothing else. And I still stand by my thing is, why would the school have any say over this land at all? Don't hold on to that or else everything will fall. I know. At this time, the shop teacher arrives with bolt cutters and against Bear's warning, he steps onto the chalk drawing. Before we talk about what that causes, the shop teacher. I told you that these guest stars had a lot of shit going on. This is Mr. Everett. He's played by an actor named Eric Lawson. His main claim to fame, besides being a character actor that was in a bunch of stuff. You don't see many wild stallions anymore. He was the main model for the Marlboro Man throughout all of the 70s. Do you know, you remember the Marlboro Man? Yeah, he was a uh, homosexual. No, you don't see many wild stallions anymore. And even if he did run off three of your best mares, he's one of the last of a wild and very singular breed. No, no, he's one of the main oh, ones. Oh, But I'm just saying, you remember the Marlboro Man yeah. imagery and everything, you know, sexy cowboy smoking. That was him back in the 70s. He's the one that apparently, his look is what established that whole thing. Come to where the flavor is. Come to Marlboro country. Which you would assume would be gay because he's a big chunky mustache. No, but like one of the 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 main, the original Marlboro man was a gay man and he had a house on Fire Island. We'll have to look into that, okay. but I will take your word for it. I'm getting this from my roommate who business partner had a ha- his cousin had a house on Fire Island who was ne- who lived next to the Marlboro man. Maybe you're telling stories out of school, Danny. What now? I say maybe you're saying things you shouldn't say. No, I think it's well established that he was a homosexual. Well, we'll have to look into that. What happens when he steps on the sunburst chalk drawing? What happens, Danny? The hawk footage reappears. There's a scream from the sky and everyone looks up to see the same stock footage. It's the hawk back. And it makes the shop teacher or the metal shop teacher hesitate. He's spooked. The entire crowd is thrown off. Admittedly, the... The eagle, the hawk, whatever it is, keeps screaming endlessly. But yeah, they are very scared. It's so cliche and offensive. In what way, Denny? Because you're portraying like Native Americans and like this like... What, that they have superpowers? Wait. Or nature superpowers. Wait till we get there. Oh, I know. It's going to be the theme. (laughs) The hawk screaming, it continues. It goes on and on. But the shop teacher does cut the chains and we fade out to our next scene. But first, of special note, right behind Bear to the left is an awesome nerdy guy. He is, talking about cliches, he's got pleated pants, pleated dark pants, basically up past his navel. Does he have the tape on his glasses? I couldn't make out any tape because he was far in the background, but they were gigantic and he looked rad. (laughs) But let's go down to the police station. Division six, where we find Garner... And he's not quite adjusting to office life all that smoothly. Oh, this is great. This is just great. He is having to file a lot of paperwork. It turns out that, yeah, his police captain was happy to bring him back to the office and give him all of the crappiest jobs. He's going to be relegated to the file room for the time being. And by the way, as pissed as he might be, as frustrated as he might be, he looks really good in his cliched cop outfit. He's got dark pants, crisp white button down, tucked in, one of those cool beige shoulder holsters, unstrapped for some reason. Like he's able to grab his gun at any moment and a fun paisley tie. I miss the blue navy shorts and the white polo though. Well, we won't have to miss them long, thank goodness. (laughs) 
more files just keep coming in as he's going and he's just getting more dejected. It was a very different world before computers made everything even more complicated. But one case in particular seems to catch his interest. So he's used to a casual sort of work style. He sits in a chair, starts to read his folder, and puts his feet up on the desk, which happens to be at the worst possible time because who comes in? The captain. Taking a breather? Yes, the captain who clearly hates Garner's guts. He makes no secret of it. Well, Garner did punch him. Garner didn't just punch him. So yeah, we talked about the violence before. Yes, this man stole credit from Garner's work. However... You know that since you broke my nose, I snore so loud my wife has to sleep in another room. I think I'd be pretty pissed too. And the captain shuts down any suggestion whatsoever of moving beyond the file room. Even when Garner brings up, hey, this case isn't solved yet. I know what we can do about it. No, he's more than willing to let crime run rampant to screw over Garner. What? You wanna hit me? Go ahead. See where it lands you this time. I don't wanna see your face again until every one of these is filed away. And this naked aggression between these two adult men, it's electric. Like they really do feel like they hate each other. Oh yeah, and like the captain even like at the end like says, I was so happy when you crawled in on your hands and knees begging me for this job back. I'm thrilled you came crawling back on your hands and knees. That's where you belong. More HR inappropriate activity, but Garner is able to restrain himself. For for now. now. (laughs) Now we're going to leave this workplace tension to dive into some more uncomfortable family tension as a sexy Corvette Stingray convertible tears into a beachside parking lot. It's got a custom plate. Did you decipher it? I did not. Leatherneck. Are you familiar with that term? I'm assuming it's military? Yes, it is. It is one of the many, many nicknames for Marines. Okay. And this old, crusty man is Jimmy Slade's dreaded father, Major Nicholas Slade. Before we get into it, Major Slade is portrayed by an actor named Bill McKinney. And of particular note, and especially for Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch, he played one of the sadistic, ass-raping hillbillies from Deliverance. Shut up. Yes. Oh my goodness. Now let's you just drop them pants. Drop? Just take them right off. I mean, what's this all about? Don't say anything, just do it. it. Just drop them, boy. Them panties. Take them off. I bet you can squeal. I bet you can squeal like a pig. Oh, uh, squeal. Squeal now. Squeal. Squeal. Squeal louder. Slate has reason to worry about this guy. Oh, don't listen to any banjos around this man. The major, by the way... He's a serious man. He's in his Marine service uniform, which you know because he's got the pistolet hat there, and he's got a chest full of ribbons. Wait, is that what it's really called, pistolet? I mean, it's a slang term for it, yeah. Oh, okay. Because if you think about it, think about the shape of a person. Your hair is buzzed, and then the only distinguishing characteristic is you have this slit now in the middle of your head, so. I never knew that. You need to hang the out with The more some, you know. You need to hang out with some more military. We, we both need to hang out with some more military guys. Mm. Anyways, he is... Looking for Slade, and he comes up to his van parked on the beach. And pounds on the door. The windows are very clear. You can look right in. This man has no patience. But he doesn't have to wait for very long. Luckily, or unluckily for Slade, he's making his way off the beach. He's finished surfing, at least for now, to find his father. And there's major strain as the major, no pun intended, tries to make small talk. 
And I hope you're taking good care of yourself as you do those damn surfboards. Yeah, at first, like, he seems like a cool and collected guy. Like, a little serious, but, like, he seemed like he misses Slade. And If we hadn't heard directly from Slade's mouth what this man is capable of, it'd be easy to think of him just as a common hard ass. Like A.C. Slater's dad. Mm-hmm. They had a they had an issue very similar to Slade and his father, but it certainly didn't get physical. And here, they just start sniping at each other. Like people that hate each other are want to do. And Slade's not giving an inch. He's made his decision. I'm not under your rule anymore. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. You chased mom away. The only family you ever cared about were your Marine buddies. So there's obviously, like any family, there's a lot of background here that informs everything that's going on. Slade's dad doesn't really care about anything except for his way. And he reveals that he's about to retire from the Corps. He will no longer be a Marine. And he's taken a security job in Malibu. I thought it was at Malibu High. No, I think it's just in Malibu. At some sort of beach access. A Marine buddy of mine set up a job interview for today. Security guard, keeping vagrants and tourists out of Malibu Colony. You know, at the gate. And the mere fact that he's going to be in the same city is too much for Slade. He freaks out and says he does not want him there. You can't take that job. And the arguing continues to escalate and starts to get physical. Well, let's back up a little bit, just a little bit. Slade begins to change out of his wetsuit. Oh, yes. And his dad is like, are you going to just change out here in public? And Slade, you know, just kind of writes him off. But he does go in his van, takes it off, and I will admit, Slade looks real good in the scene. Slade? Kelly Slater has a very natural build. He's not going to the gym. No, but he's got nice pecs and nice abs, but, like, that's really all you get to see from the waist up. Good-looking guy. That's well-established. The violence, though, here it is. The major grabs Slade's surfboard. Well, the, first he pushes him he, and like down to the ground. How does he push him though? He pushes him using the surfboard. So, mm-hmm. This surfboard that is the most important thing in Slade's life, like the symbol of his independence, of his freedom, his identity is this surfboard. You think you can earn a living with this? Huh? You think people are going to pay two cents in late you, do you? Huh? What? You going to drop out of school? Huh? Answer me. Yes or no? What's the matter? You afraid? You want to grab this and paddle away, don't you? You think this could give you something I couldn't? Yes. He slams him, as you say, to the ground. And then, in a further fit of rage, he breaks the goddamn surfboard over his knee. That's not going to get you anything. You drop out of school to surf, I'll break you in half next time. Threatening to do the same to his son if he even thinks about quitting high school to continue surfing. One thing of note from the scene is generally Slade or Kelly Slater did a good job in this episode. Mm. This particular scene, like his acting was very, very noticeably bad. I will disagree. Uh, Perhaps I was caught up in the moment and I didn't look at it as critically. Maybe I'm, as always, giving Kelly Slater all the credit in the world. Maybe it's also because I can relate to father issues, a Marine, etc., etc. But that's a tough role to play. Being in that position, he's an untrained actor on yeah. top of that. So how dare you? Well, I, I'm like, I'm not saying like, I mean, I know he's not an actor. He is a surfer who is just acting in the show. But like I, this, it was kind of noticeable for me in this scene that it was very stiff. Not a lot of emotion in it for a pretty emotional scene. Well, Danny, let's continue this debate 
and process our trauma during our next commercial break. <laughs> this time, it calls you to the ultimate battle of good against evil. To a quest few are prepared for and fewer still survive. But perhaps now the power is within your grasp. It's the game that's already a legend. The Legend of Zelda, a link to the past, only on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Now you're playing with superpower. Bear is taking Matt and Summer to a mural and talking about his history. Yeah. Or the history of his tribe. And the history of Malibu. And they're in front of this very naturalistic mural, which sort of goes along with the theme, goes along with the story, and the white people, they eat it up. Wow, you know, I never really thought about Indians being in Malibu. Yeah, but it wasn't Malibu. It was called Humaliwo. It means the surf sounds loudly. Oh, that's really beautiful. That is beautiful. It was. Oh, yeah. White guilt. <laughs> well, they didn't seem very... No, I'm just. it was just a joke. No, you're, yeah. you're, you're right, but I have to say... Even as I'm shitting on them now, their sincerity, reminding myself that they're children, they're in high school, they're very earnest people. Mm -hmm. And Matt and Summer are good people. Yeah. So, and at this point, they're just friends. Bear is very concerned about the continual destruction of his people's historic lands and this bid by the school to do more. So they're trying to think of ways of how they can prevent this con these condos from going up. Mm-hmm. I think Summer, like, maybe suggested, like, some sort of, what was it, like, a charity bake sale or something? <laughs> oh, I didn't even pick that up. I was more... I think it was, like, a very quick suggestion. She had a lot of, like, lines just thrown in yeah. there. I mean, at least she was, you know, on set and actually able to do something that day, but she didn't get that much coverage here. Matt reminds us, though, that the principal has said that they will call off the sale if they can find, like you say, proof that it's sacred. Yeah. Ultimately, what they decide on is having the principal come and watching a uh, ritual that takes place at this time of the year, I guess. Not even a ritual. It's very strange. Bear is absolutely certain that all he needs to do is have the principal there. He's not going to conduct a ritual. This is just the time of year that this particular ritual always takes place. If I can get Mr. Richmond up there tomorrow on the traditional day of the Hutash ceremony, I can prove it to him. How can you prove it? The way my grandfather taught me. And we don't learn anything else at this moment about that. Matt, though, he is more than happy to help. He's going to help cajole this boomer up on that hill no matter what it takes, <laughs> even if he has to miss the beginning of his bitch and beach party. Oh, no, not the party. Hey, sacrifices. Sacrifices must be made. <laughs> now, back at the police precinct. Back at the police pre precinct. I know. Do you know? Back at the police... <laughs> Sorry. No, no, you're right to laugh at me. Back at the police precinct, Garner is on his hands and knees filing even more paperwork. But he's done. He's finally filed all his paperwork. But who shows up? A bitch. The and bitch I... named Mitch. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, another police officer with a lesbian haircut comes walking in with another cart full of files. You're absolutely right. You can't be serious. But right behind him is Mitch, who is being a bitch himself. He is here ostensibly to take Garner to lunch. But what he's really doing is just twisting the knife of how shitty it is to work in an office versus the beach. Also, he does miss Garner. That's, that's understandable, but he could be a little less of a jerk about it. 
clearly Garner is not in a good mood, not in a good place, and Mitch is piling on. Well, we have to understand, Mitch is omniscient. He knows that Garner does not belong here. He knows Garner would truly be happier on the beach with him. While that may be true, I always am annoyed by trickster gods, <laughs> and I would rather him just be straightforward. He's Mitch, so he's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to grind it into Garner's brain of just how awful office life is, how awesome it is at the beach. This is what I warned you about. Hot, windowless room, no sun, no air, no pool, no pets, no lunch, no sand, no salt water. And like you say, it's probably mostly because he misses the man. Mm. But he even offers to cook him dinner. Which is a little, you know... Not just cook him dinner. He says he'll cook him dinner from now on. And Garner makes a joke about his cooking, but clearly Mitch is pretty good because he feeds a lot of people. Garner brags him off. He says, I can't go to lunch. I've got too much work to do. And Mitch does leave. And with a resigned sigh, Garner slumps down in that office chair. Poor guy. And now we come to the most egregious scene of the whole episode. And let's get through it. Because you're right, it's quite goofy and it's well in... Let's just get into it. We're back at the cliff top from the beginning of the episode and Bear has his hands spread open, facing the ocean, trying to get Principal Richmond, who's also there with Matt. Matt and Summer, true to their word, brought him there. Exactly. And they're mostly just impressed by anything Bear says. They're sort of a very willing audience to help out. And Bear starts to explain that the land is sacred, basically screaming at the oh, principal. He, he gets aggressive. He does. He's very impassioned. My grandfather brought me here to the Bear's Claw. This is where he told me the bear dancer shook his rattle and sang, Look! Listen! The ground shakes! Do you hear that? And all of a sudden, there's a rattle sound in the background. And we think... I thought it's just sound effects, right? It's just color. No, Summer and Matt actually hear this as Bear continues shouting. I am a creature of power. I walk the mountaintops to every corner of the world. I am a creature of power. Talking more and more about the importance of the land, what has happened on the land. This was like pre-Charlie Sheen. I've got tiger blood in me speech. I just have a different constitution. I have a different brain. I have a different heart. I have a different, you know, I get tiger blood, man. It had a very similar tone, <laughs> I will say. It's a little less crazed, uh, if only because it was founded in some sort of culture, but <laughs> it was bizarre. And Principal Richmond, he's rather unmoved by all of this. I mean, he's the principal of a high school in Southern California, so he's probably used to self-righteous kids screaming in his face about all kinds of things. And he basically is like, look, without evidence that this is sacred land, there's nothing I can do. Like, it's probably not even his fully decision. It's like a whole board thing. He admits that he's going to have to argue to the board one way or the other. But he also admits he would be happy to. He doesn't want to hurt anyone or to destroy anything important just for the sake of money. But there is no evidence. So then what happens next? What do we hear? Just in time, our favorite sound, that hawk is above yet again with the same stock footage, and then who also reappears? That deer from before. And it doesn't just wander into frame. He's pretty far away. But Denny, he fades into view. 
the assembled crew, Bear, Principal Richmond, Summer, Matt, they all look off into the distance. The deer appears out of nowhere. It's grazing. It's clearly the same deer that Bear made out with before, whatever. But then it fades away before fading back. But this time, it's now a Native American warrior with the deerskin head thing as camouflage. Yeah, we're assuming that this is like ancient warrior from way back when. Who's to say what's going on exactly? It, it was like a very hokey, like, spirit. You say hokey. I, I bought into it a did little you? bit. I did. I did. This is syndicated television from 1992, so you have to adjust your expectations. Don't get me wrong. It was hokey. But in the moment, I was sort of transported as well because this strange, magical stuff that's going on the white people are completely confused because they see it. They yeah. see what's happening. And this warrior, before he disappears again, fires an arrow off into the underbrush. The white people are amazed. Bear is completely amused. Like, he, like, is not surprised at all that this is happening. Which leads me to my assumption. Did you three set this up? You saw that too? Bear man, what was that? What was what? I think Bear drugged these people on the drive over. <laughs> he snuck a little, I don't know, peyote, ayahuasca, some acid, mushroom tea. I don't know because the four of them are sharing a hallucination. But they they buy into it, which makes me think it must be mushrooms. Well, the principal, like, like, how did you do that? Like, he's not fully into it. Some are mad. Yeah, they fully hook, line, sinker. But he's questioning his, his sanity a little bit. But he does admit openly, he saw it. Yeah. He saw whatever the hell was happening. And they go to investigate where the arrow landed. Why? Because, well, shit, we just saw a magical thing. Let's keep on going. And they go to the underbrush. And what do they find? Not an arrow, but an old arrow head. Exactly. Just the evidence that they were looking for to be able to at least start investigating. Is this or is this not sacred land? So the principal is like, okay, I'll take this to the board and we'll try to prevent this from happening. That's the last we hear of it. But it's okay because they were successful. They got what they wanted to do. And now it's time to party. party. Yes. And we get our second montage of the episode. This high school party, I, I've said before, and it's no secret, I wasn't exactly a cool guy in high school. I only went to a few parties. Certainly no high school parties that had a DJ pool access also on the beach so this is i think where i realized that mr matt brody is pretty affluent yeah he's cut from a different cloth than most of the other characters because this is his party we have to assume this is his family's house it is a really nice spread and there are a ton of people at this party it's not even just that the party's happening at his house it's also kind of like on the beach adjacent to his house too well the assumption is it's a beachside house right. he's right there on the sand and so yeah there's volleyball slade is is here surfing as courtney and who will find out is the potential sponsor watching summer is there hanging out and we see a bevy of beauties male and female many over high school age mm. And one particular hunk stands out. Yes. Now, Matt is back at the party. He's enjoying himself. He's had a lovely day. He's probably still a little high from whatever Bear gave him. <laughs> and he's dancing, looking very good. But the camera focuses on one stud in particular, the one that I've dubbed the Huffing Hunk. He is super hunky, super gorgeous. And man, and he gets a, for a stud watch, he gets a, decent scene. Yes, and 
we didn't say it yet, but this is our official yeah. stud watch of the episode, the Huffing Hunk. He actually has a name, Denny, because he's appeared in more than one episode of Baywatch. This is Clint Chandler. He is played by a man named Race Nelson. I love both those names. Right? Like, he could not be more of a porny type of dude <laughs> unless there was, you know, things happening. But he's in four other episodes as Clint. However, this is his last episode, which oh, we'll no. probably see why later. He played Race Nelson, that is, played somebody named Marcus in Three Ninjas. Marcus, score some nacho chips and some radical salsa. Dude, none of that green stuff. And I've never seen Three Ninjas. I watched the hell out of, mov- out of that movie when I was younger. Marcus was one of the mute bullies. Okay. Which I didn't... I don't remember there being bullies. I don't know if they were bullies. I was, it was kind of hard to suss out what the plot was as I was reading it. But, like, there's three boys that apparently work with the bad guys or something or other. And one mm. of them does not speak. And that's our hot uffing honk. Okay. And our stud watch for this episode. Let's describe him a little more. I mean... Just gorgeous. Like his body. His body is his major asset. And that is major with all caps. He is so well built. Just, and he doesn't look overworked. Mm-mm. Everything is perfectly proportioned. Proportion. His legs match the rest of his body. We can talk about how beautiful he is. He has a very uh, chiseled face. But part of that might be because. He's actually the oldest person at the party, not counting the sponsor. This actor is 29. Oh. Yeah, which is very clear, especially once you see him next to some of the actual teens. But he's wearing some pulled high uh, trunks, hideous, sort of like just a terrible in living color sort of pattern. (laughs) And his hair is a little floppy, a little high on his head. He's got a bit of a five head. I like his hair. I'm perfectly fine with all of it. <laughs> Just trying to be fair and give a full round picture. He's gorgeous. And Clint is his name, but for our purposes, he is the Huffing Hunk. We will tell you why he's called the Huffing Hunk. Because as he's wandering around this party, he has a conspicuous rolled towel under his arm. He makes his way to a lovely young lady seated. Looks quite a bit younger, also a blonde. And... He whips out a can of compressed air. He doesn't get to do much with it, so because Matt spots it right away. Oh, he is. He's a narc after my own heart. Mr. Buzzkill. Yes, he runs over and... I say, no drugs or booze at my party. Chill out, man. It's lens dust spray. I'm cleaning my sunglasses. This stuff will vaporize your brain. Just relax, all right? It's not illegal. There's no warning label on it. I'm warning you. Don't suck this stuff around here. What kind of fucking party is this, Matt? Well, there's a lot of hotties. And at that age, I would have loved to have been there and happy not to have any drugs or booze. But Clint relents. He's like, oh, okay. I was just going to clean my glasses. Uh Uh-huh. Matt's not buying it. Yeah, just like people are using Maximum Impact to clean their VCRs. But (laughs) let's talk about huffing just for a little bit. Huffing. Just let's say what it is. Huffing is basically when you... Cut oxygen off from your brain. That's long story short. And what is going to happen here, I don't know if... You're going to inhale it. In what way? By pushing the thing down and inhaling it? Now, there are people that huff directly off the can. That is probably the most dangerous you can do. There's other huffing that you do, including with things like Maximum Impact, where you spray it into a cloth... And then you huff the cloth. So my assumption is, is that why that's why he has the towel there as uh. well. And I, I will say, I did date a guy once who was a Marine. 
And so he was not allowed to do drugs because they do drug testing. But huffing certainly doesn't pop up on any sort of test. Tip for the kids, uh, inhalants uh, stay in your system less than any other drug. Just so you know. Uh, Tip for kids, don't do drugs. Anyway, Matt is the ultimate buzzkill. He shuts it down. And like we say, the huffing hunk, he's, oh, okay, it's your party, whatever. Matt gets pulled away right away by a very pretty girl. So I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to talk about my experience with canned air. Oh, I'm so sorry. When I was young and dumb, uh, me and my friends, we would get high. And what we would do is, so there's this thing where if you turn the canned air upside down and you spray it, it's like super cold. Yes. And we would like burn ourselves a little bit with it. We were just young and dumb. Yes, and so. full of all sorts of things. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, we, we've all been there. I, I've certainly, I've, I've huffed, you know, not like everybody else was, mainly because I was a big pussy and terrified, but better safe than sorry, ultimately. And Matt's honestly on that side. He's a lifeguard, for Christ's sake, so he probably has safety drilled into his head all the time, and it really isn't that safe. Not to be a buzzkill myself, but it's not. Yeah. This huffer, though, he doesn't give a shit. He's just like, okay, whatever, dude. With the full intention, he's going to do what he feels like doing. So he takes the can, takes the towel, and takes the girl, and they decide they're going to get in the pool. I mean, I guess he thinks that Huffing will turn her on or something, because quite frankly, he doesn't need any extra help. Mm -mm. But we'll have to figure out exactly why you might want to huff while in the water during our next commercial break. Hi, KB. Who are your friends? Uh, my dog, Donut. My buddy, Marty. Hey, Kitty, what's up? My classmate, Ocean. Oh, yeah. Mm, there's Kelly. She's okay. Hi, I'm Kai. Who are not your friends? Well, there's these two guys at school, Jesse and Jeff. Jeff does drugs, and he tries to get us to do it, too. Jesse thinks he's cool because he hangs out with Jeff. Hey, guys, want to have some fun? No, thanks, man. Yeah, get a life, guys. The party continues. This is a rager, as we said. And Matt's girl, from before, the one from the motorcycle, she begs him to speak a little French. Which he does, but it's so low and muttery, I I couldn't even hear it. All I could tell was it was French. And I I didn't know Matt spoke French. Matt is French. Well, Matt isn't French, but David Chabert is. Mm. And those lips look really good saying those syllables. she is all about it. They are canoodling up the wazoo at this party. Oh, hands, I'm sure, are wandering. Then we uh, cut to Jesse Spano introducing Slade to the sponsor. Yes, down at the beach, things have gone so well that apparently it's going to work out. And who is watching from the distance, though? Summer, of course. (laughs) Suspicious. Summer. Spying. Summer. It's a good thing she is, though, because Slade and Courtney start sucking face right there. Well, she starts approaching them, and then they, like, full-on kiss. Yeah, it's not a peck. It's not a congratulatory thing. It's not a spur of the moment. This is a full-on tongues-in-each-other's-throats kiss. So much for him and Summer being together. But she goes to confront him, finally, like, actually going to talk about it. She has had enough. She's going to stand up for herself. She basically breaks them up, and she's like, can we talk? Which is such like a high school thing, like big time. Or I, and you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to be a little bit more dramatic. Summer could have made it a huge thing, but let's look at who she's against. She knows that she cannot 
come anywhere close to the wattage of Courtney. And that if she really were really to confront her, she's going to get decimated. <laughs> so at least in that way, Summer's making the right choice. Anyways, they walk off. They leave. They don't just leave. Slade hands his surfboard to Courtney. Hey, hold this for me. Yeah. Courtney's not any at any way, like, worried. She's the least insecure person I think I've ever seen, <laughs> and God bless her. She just takes that board and just, like, smiles as they walk off. And doesn't just smile. That is a shit-eating grin if I've ever seen one. Summer and Slade start to talk, and, you know, she's asking him about, like... What's going on? Or, like, not even that. Like, first, like, they're talking about, like, how the sponsor was and all that sort of how that's going. And then, like... She, you know, she gets a little attitude and he's like, are you jealous? Well, yeah. yeah. I can't believe you're jealous. I thought we're dating, like, and you're kissing another girl in front of me. Like, what the actual fuck? But geez, within moments, he and Summer are making out. I can't believe you're letting Courtney Bremer buy you. She's helped me get what I want. Yeah, well, I thought I fit in there somewhere. You do. But like, it's like, Summer, do you have no self-respect? We know she doesn't. We know she doesn't. And... At her age, I certainly didn't either. I probably, I know, I put up with a lot of crap myself. But Courtney is the queen. She, again, is unbothered and interrupts this makeout session. Hi! Oh, I don't mean to interrupt. Look, um, Sid needs to talk to you before he leaves. It's very important. No shame at all. Like, she clearly is not upset that Slate is kissing Summer, even though she's clearly into him too, but she just pulls him away he's like, you need, we need to talk to the sponsor real quick before he leaves. And hand in hand, they walk away. She makes sure that Summer is staring at them as they go. Courtney doesn't mind sloppy seconds as long as she's able to shred a person to pieces in the process. It's here, though, that Courtney tells Slade that he's going to need to make a lot of tough decisions in his career. What if you have to decide between her and me? And we don't get to hear what the decision is. But luckily for Summer, Bear arrives. He's nearby and he saves her from utter despair. And it's here at this point we talked about Slade's acting. And I've, I've talked about many times. I don't care for Summer. But her delivery of... Maybe I should just get out of the sun. It broke my heart. It felt so natural. It didn't feel like a written line, mm-hmm. you know. And that's where they leave it. And we go back to the party. Because, hell, it's time for fun. Enough of this silliness. Well, first, uh, don't we see CJ walking up? Right, on the outskirts of the party. Her shift at the beach must be over for the day. And she is wearing almost nothing. Pamela Anderson had a few different sizes of breasts throughout the years. These are certainly not her biggest, but you wouldn't know that from the barely there bikini. There are various shots that it is almost like there's only enough fabric for her nipples. (laughs) There is a lot of flesh and she's also greased up, glistening in the sun, not that she needed any more help. And she inadvertently causes temporary paralysis to all the boys playing volleyball. Turning heads. Snapping heads. You can just hear boners breaking left and right. And she basically like, where's Matt? Just a a nice casual question. And the boys, they can't respond. I mean, they point, but they're not meaning to. Yeah. And she just walks up to his house and leave them just drooling and probably leaking. (laughs) Yes. Causing wet spots in their shorts. Yes. And from across the pool, once she gets up to the house, she sees Matt. Making out. Right, exactly. He's kissing that girl from before. But upon seeing that CJ's there, Matt practically throws her on the ground. Throws this bitch off of him. (laughs) Her name is Kim, by the way. But who cares? She can't hold a candle to CJ. He jumps up. He's like, oh, CJ. Yes. And then he awkwardly introduces 
Kim and CJ. And thank goodness for Kim that CJ is a sweetheart because she sits there and starts to have a conversation with Kim because Matt's attention is pulled away, pulled closer to the pool. He notices there's something next to the pool. What is that, Danny? The can of compressed air. Compressed air. Exactly. But where's the huffing hunk? Where's the chick he was with? They are face down the bottom of the pool. Fully sunk to the bottom, which might say something about that man's lack of body fat. (laughs) But Matt and CJ are both trained lifeguards, so they both dive to the rescue. And at this point, like, how the hell does that bikini stay on? I have no idea. But after being pulled out of the pool... Well, hold on. Oh. We, we also hear Summer tell Bear to call 911. What I found interesting about this rescue, and I, I don't mean to sound sexist. Go right ahead. But Matt gets the girl, and CJ gets the guy. And it's odd. I mean, I know, like, you know, they do rescues for, like, anyone. But, like, you would think the guy would be the bigger person and maybe the stronger of the two should get him out of the water. He clearly weighs a hell of a lot more than this very small girl. And CJ, for as amazing as she is, there's no way she has the upper body strength that Matt does. But Danny, I think this goes back to your original theory. Yes, and this is definitely proof of this. Mm-hmm. Denny originally posited very long ago, I don't even know if we had started recording yet, there are no homosexual, meaning male on male or female on female mouth to mouth scenes. I think there's one and it's super, I I think it's happens, but it's so super rare. What is this? I forget which episode. I think it happened once and I think we commented on it. I can't remember which one though. Mm, See now in my head, I I, I was sure that you're absolutely right. I could be wrong. Yeah, but we're going to keep an eye out for Mm. it. And here though, you are proven right. Now I would have been quite happy to watch Matt and the Huffer go at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Anybody would, but no. So people help pull these people out of the pool once CJ and Matt get them to the edge. And then they both perform their respective CPRs on mm-hmm. both people. Yep. And they come to instantly. Of course. Like uh, one breath and they're coughing up water and they're fine. They're very healthy young people. <laughs> and maybe they weren't down there that long. But whatever. We then see a dramatic shot of the empty can floating on the surface of the pool all by itself before a voiceover of Mitch joins in, listing the many, many dangers of huffing. The stuff may not be illegal, but it could kill you. The lightheaded feeling you get is caused by lack of oxygen to your brain. And we now transition to Matt and Mitch together at the beach and... Matt's getting reprimanded. Why the hell did you take this away from those kids? Even if they hadn't drowned, they could have killed themselves. Exactly. As if he did anything wrong. Mitch just likes to lecture, to be honest. And I can relate. I love to do the same. But Matt didn't really do anything wrong. Matt did pretty much everything right. He did not allow booze and drugs at his party to begin with. He tried to stop a guy when he saw something going on. And then he rescued the guy when he was in peril. Mm -hmm. What more was he supposed to do, Mitch? As we've seen, Mitch is sort of difficult to please. But Matt then does fess up to something that he has done wrong. About those guys dune bugging on Cortez Beach? Yeah, did you find out who they were? Um, The guilt has gotten to him. He admits that it was him on the dune buggy. With with, Slade. He he was very hesitant to call Slade out, but he eventually does say it was him as well. And Mitch just smiles. And walks away. And Matt Matt could have left it alone, but he asked, like, are you not going to do anything? And Mitch... The ever trickster said, oh, I'm going to tell Garner about this. <laughs> and all we get is a dejected Matt staring at the camera, a strange sound of chimes as we fade to our final commercial break. 
you haven't talked to your kids about drugs, make an appointment. Yo, Mom, what's up? For a free parent's guide to drug prevention, call 1-800-624-0100. Don't forget the children. It's night at Baywatch HQ. Mitch is uh, getting out his frustration on the punching bag. Mm-hmm. All sweaty, looking good. What frustrations he may have in this episode, you don't know. Eh, you know, one of his bonehead lifeguards was causing ruckus on the beach earlier. Oh, good point. Good point. And I'm and sure he, Hobie's up to something. And he misses Garner. Oh, yeah, you're right. He has a lot to think about. Yeah. But luckily, Garner pops in just at this time. And um, he uh, shortly reveals that his left hand is in a cast. So apparently Garner's left-handed. Good point. Yeah. Good point. It turns out, yes, he's lost his temper yet again. And he took a swing at his boss. Uh, I couldn't help myself. I, I tried to resist, but he pushed me too far. How is he not fired? Police unions are very strong, Denny. He's hit his captain twice and is still employed. Yes, that's true. But apparently Beach Patrol is so undesirable that that is a better punishment than being fired. Who's to say? But like, it also doesn't make any sense. He's a police officer and assault is against the law. And he did it twice. Ugh. It doesn't matter because... You're back on the beach. The bros are back together. Exactly. Mitch is delighted, just like anybody would. I mean, hell, I'd be happy if Garner was here and not there. And even with the cast... Even with the broken hand, even with the bad boss, even with the not the greatest position, even with the demotion, Mitch has good news for Garner about those mystery doom buggy boys. Come into my office, Garner. We have some things to discuss. We get another strange laugh from Garner. We fade back to the beach as Matt and Slade are in the water. Final scene. On their boards, probably talking about the crazy party and everything that happened. But just then, Garner pulls up on his four-wheeler with the purple shocks, super 90s. He's got the cast on and he spies the two boys in the distance. They see him, they realize he knows and they paddle as far away from him as possible. I guess they're heading to Hawaii (laughs) early, I don't know. But Garner just whips off his sunglasses, sits back on his four-wheeler and with a knowing smile. Because they got to come in at some point. Exactly. Garner's going to get his men and we fade to The end of our episode, Baywatch, Season 3, Episode 6, Showdown at Malibu. Hi, Danny, what did you think? This episode was utter garbage in the best ways. It's probably one of my favorite episodes we've watched so far because it's just so dumb and trashy that this, this is why I like Baywatch right here. You know, there was only one real serious storyline and that was Slade and his dad. I, yeah, I guess I guess it depends on what you consider serious. But like everything else was so, in my opinion, unbelievable. <laughs> Which is saying something considering what we've seen so far. Like the main plot, you know, with Bear and like, you know, that whole Native American borderline offensive nonsense. It did not interest me really. Well, let's talk about that real quick. Okay. It was sort of in the air at the time, talking about Native American things. Indian, as even they still say. Oh, that's one thing I forgot. Some are even belted out the uh, Indian term. Throughout the episode, they only use the term Indian, which we're pre-Clinton. 
And so we aren't even into the politically correct days that were to follow and people's reevaluation of language, of culture, of all sorts of stuff. I mean, we're still in the middle of it and things are really complicated right now. At the time, Indian was fine. Wow, you know, I never really thought about Indians being in Malibu. Because it was the time. But we're going to say Native American just, well, yeah. just because. Um, it was in the air. You had Dances with Wolves. We mentioned Last of the Mohicans. And two years earlier, speaking of our beloved Elizabeth Berkeley, there was an episode of Saved by the Bell called Running Zack. You know, I bet this Indian could be my ancestor. And it's perfect for my family tree presentation. Hey, and you can help me be an Indian. How? That's a good start. Now, again, you've let me know that you aren't that familiar with Saved by the Bell. Just but... from the title makes me cringe. Oh, well, what we'll do after we record is we'll watch the episode of Zach Morris is trash that describes this episode. So, oh, so Zach's an asshole. He's being a prick in class, as always. And their current assignment is to, each student is to look into their roots and to find something they didn't know before and to share it with the class. What does Zach do? He goofs off, he makes fun of everybody, and does a half-assed presentation, also insulting Native Americans. By the end of the episode, Zach finds out, oh hell, he actually is even visited by a Native American spirit in his dreams, but he finds out that he has roots, and he, in Native dress, delivers his presentation. Before this project, I knew nothing about my heritage. I didn't even care. Now I know, and I'm proud. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. So there was an earnestness of the time that isn't really around right now, a sincerity that we laugh at now. But to be honest, I think that we're, we've lost something by not being able to accept some of the hokey bits, to be able to address these things on sort of more of a surface level so it's more palatable. Yeah, it was hokey. It was tokenism. It was not great. But the Native American character was only shown respect not only from the other characters, but from the script and from the direction. He is a superhero. He has some sort <laughs> of ability to conjure spirits and to speak with the animals. Yeah, is it with our modern eye, ooh, eh, oof. In fact, this would look like a parody nowadays. Yeah, I, I will give you credit. I will concede the point that he was shown, you know, respect in the episode. It just, I think, went about it poorly. Maybe, but for the time, we'll give it a pass. Maybe playing that... Hawk cried 3,000 times within a single 42-minute episode was too much. But, you know. But what about the other parts? I like the... I, I always like seeing Jesse Spano. Love her. Courtney Brammer, Elizabeth Berkley. She's fantastic. I like the uh, ongoing uh, love triangle between her, uh, Summer, and Slade. And I will say, this is the last time we see Courtney. Oh, no. In fact, I went through very quickly the episodes after this because I was craving some teen drama, some soap opera nonsense. Courtney doesn't show up again, and I'm pretty sure she's never mentioned again. Like, by the time we get to another episode that features Slade or Summer, it's four or five episodes from now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of time has passed, and they may address the storyline, but poor Courtney... Mm. She's off to Vegas. Well, that's... Oh, <laughs> no me. <laughs> Woo! I thought it was weird that Matt and CJ were kind of hinted at at having some sort of flirtation going on, considering that he is in high school and... He ends she, up with Summer way later. Yeah, and but she is not in high school. She's graduated, at the very least, an adult. Old enough to be 
employed by the yeah, school. It, it just seemed odd. But, you know, back then and she, the fact that she's the older woman, I guess it's okay. Age is just a number, Danny. Yeah. Ugh, gross. You know, the whole Garner thing, that was unbelievable. The fact that he has not been fired. But it's trash TV and I'm here for it. You need an HR corner. Oh, my God, episode. I do. We keep track of this. Um, I, uh, I loved it. I really did. Uh, we went a little silly last time when we saw the title, when we looked at the description, and my blood did run cold with the Native American stuff initially. I was like, oh, no, what are we going to get into? And it was precisely what I expected, but it was far less uncomfortable than I, than I would have guessed. Again, mostly because Bear is actually pretty cool. He's kind of a cool guy, and I don't think we ever see him either again. So none of this really comes in. But it's Baywatch, so we can't expect that this is going to be a long epic. The love triangle that you mentioned, it sort of continues, but in a different form. Matt ends up joining the whole Summer Slade polycule thing that's Mm. going on, and we do see the end of that eventually. Slade had a great, maybe not performance, but he had a great showing as far as giving us more of what has made up the sort of person that he is. And it makes Slade even more admirable, really, when you see that his father is such a prick, such a bastard, and yet he's still an open, accepting person. You know, something to try to aspire to be. It was great. I loved it. And every time I've learned something new that was connected to it, like this last episode was rough for both of us. And it was a rough episode, period. This right here is precisely why I was so happy that you and I started doing this. Mm-hmm. The, it was fun research. It was fun watching. It's been fun to talk about. If only every episode was like this. Yes. Please give us more like this. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I will rate this episode eight drowning huffing hunks out of ten. It's very good. For a moment, I thought you were going to choose arrowheads. Uh, I like. I also was going to think about screaming hawks, but that was too annoying. Right. I would not mind. You said eight. Eight of that gentleman. Because this is Baywatch at its finest. Trash. Very good. Very good. And like I said, it's great. Watch it. Watch it sooner than later. And now we're going to pick the next episode of Baywatch we're going to cover Danny and how do we do so by spinning the magic beach bingo ball cage sure (laughs) you're getting more consistent which is good I think all right we have season six episode 18 Baywatch, Season 6, Episode 18, Lost and Found. Mitch and Caroline help to reunite a Vietnamese refugee with her American GI father. Meanwhile, CJ and Cody help a wheelchair-bound comedian fulfill his dreams of swimming in the ocean. Yes, it is potentially fraught with some of the same cultural insensitivities that we worried about in this episode, but also, um, well, we'll have to encounter that when we (laughs) encounter it. But for now, you've been listening to Hot Red Shorts, a Gay Watch of Baywatch. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Hot Red Shorts, and please do. 
you can check out our website at hotredshorts.com where I make animated trading cards at each and every single episode that we cover. So you can see what we're actually talking about. Exactly. Enjoy some of the jiggle that we get to see so often. <laughs> I've been Josh. I'm Denny. And thanks for listening. <laughs>